you know, I mean, obviously, every time we nutmeg someone, of course, that's gonna, you know, make top ten and and everything. Yeah, we read it last year in the preseason. You got him bad. <laughs> I've actually started doing like a Trey Young nutmeg counter. Now watch this move around JJ. <laughs> right through the wicket. What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch. I'm Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for Nold.com and The Advocate. Here today on Tuesday morning with Jeff Nowak. Hey, y'all. Special guest, Sarah Spencer, the Atlanta Hawks beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Sarah, how are you doing this morning? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Full disclosure, we've had a couple technical difficulties, uh, but we're here. We're happy to be here with you this morning to we talk all, about... I, I feel like we all know each other pretty well at this point. We've been... <laughs> We've been through so much, you know. <laughs> we have been through my hey y'all has gotten less and less with every time I've had to say it. So I'm glad I know, we I'm like, that. I'm tweaking what I say by the syllable. And now I'm like noting every time I say something a little different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, technical difficulties notwithstanding, we want to talk about the fun, sort of confusing Atlanta Hawks. Um, I think there are kind of some parallels with how the Pelicans and the Hawks have started the season. I mean, they both got out to these pretty promising starts and then hit a little bit of a skid. Um, I watched most of that that Hawks game last night where they got back on track against Philly. Um, I guess I want to ask you, I mean, were you experiencing the same thing I was, which was panic? I mean, when they lost three in a row, did, did you sense like fans just re- really worrying and saying all is lost? Yeah, you know, I think that um, the Hawks already entered the season. With, this is the first time in a while that they've entered the season with expectations. Uh, you know, the past few years, I guess the past three years, really, it's been very clear. You know, we're rebuilding, we're rebuilding, we're rebuilding. You had to have patience. Um, and then last March, actually, was when Hawks coach Lloyd Pierce for the first time said, next year, the next step for us is the playoffs. Um, which caught a lot of people, including me, a little bit off guard uh, because they were, you know, losing big time at the time. They finished the season, you know, strong by comparison uh, to how they started. Um, But yeah, I I think it really caught a lot of people off guard, but that's how they felt. Um, And then, you know, they they added pieces in free agency accordingly. Um, and, And I think people were really people were really excited. And then they started off four and one. And so then that's gonna raise expectations even more. Um, and so then, you know, I mean, it's something that happens, you know, especially on social media, people are like, oh gosh, we're going to be a top four seed, you know? And then, and then you kind of, it's a small sample size thing. It happens all the time in every sport. Um, and then you kind of come crashing back down to earth and realizing, you know, maybe we're not going to win it all this year. Um, and so I think it's just a process, uh, kind of organizations, fan bases go through. Um, but you know, they got back on track. They, they lost four straight, um, and against, against teams that, it's it's interesting, you know, they, they lost handedly to the Cavs, the Knicks, and then twice to Charlotte. Um, and then they were able to get back on track with a, you know, depleted Philly team. But, you know, if you can limit Embiid, that's something that they're going to, they're going to take the win and they're going to be happy about it. Um, so, yeah, no, I think there, I think there was definitely sustained panic for, for that four game slide. And then they were able to get back on track. But, you know, the, the thing that that's kind of tough about the way they've started the season is it only gets harder. And they lost four games in a row to teams that probably aren't going to make the playoffs. And so if you want to make the playoffs, those are the games you need to be able to put away. And they didn't. They lost four straight. Um, so, you know, but then sometimes you have a way of kind of playing down and playing out to, to teams. It, we'll just we'll just see how they 
how they go throughout the season. I think one thing that's interesting about the Hawks, um, I don't even really feel like I know this team yet because there are so many people out. They have so many injuries. One of their best defenders, you know, this team really needed to get better on defense. And one of their best defenders is going to be out for a while in Chris Dunn. We haven't even seen him yet. Um, so there's there's a lot of guys. They've got a, a lot of guys out, a lot of moving parts. We're basically watching last year's Hawks team plus Clint Capella uh, because all of their recent additions are out for the most part. Um, so it's it's been an up and down start. It, we're 10 games in and we've already experienced super high highs and super low lows. Um, and I know you guys have had some of that too on your end. I'm particularly excited about that. 145 141 regulation game uh <laughs> against the nets yes that was uh when i saw that score i had to do a double take <laughs> wasn't that wasn't that insane i was i was watching that track meet i mean there was just you know i think that game actually i was talking to solomon hill about this who's just like an excellent quote um and, no. and yeah <laughs> here in you, New Orleans. Guys, you guys you guys uh you guys know Solomon and um, you know, he's also a different kind of player to, to talk to because he was just in the finals. You know, this is a team that's very young and really hasn't wanted a high level yet. So it's interesting to be able to talk to someone who's literally just coming off the finals. And um, he was, you know, he kind of mentioned that that 145 to 141 game, which was just surreal. Um, it actually kind of got them in the habit and, you know, for the first four, for the first five games of the season, the Hawks were outscoring the Bucks. That's how that's how high flying their offense was. Um, and that was also when they had Bogey and Gallo healthy. Um, but he mentioned that, you know, that game kind of mentally got them off kilter when it comes to what they need to do. Um, and it got them in the habit of just wanting to outscore everybody, which is what they did last season. Um, they didn't really play much defense. They just wanted to outscore everybody. And that's not going to work, particularly when you have to play, you know, good teams. Um, so that that game was it was fun, but I think it kind of got them in the habit of just chucking up shots, chucking up shots, you know, early in the shot clock. And that was something that they struggled with in that four game slide. Um, so it was fun to watch, but I think it kind of was detrimental, honestly. So I watched that game. I watched both of the games against the Nets, and I have to admit like I was drinking the Kool-Aid. I was sitting there thinking like, oh my God, the Hawks are going to set the single season record for (laughs) offensive rating that they're going to break the Mavericks record that they set last year. I mean, I was looking at the the splits this morning and the first five games, the Hawks had 121 offensive rating, uh, meaning they scored 121 points per 100 possessions. It was top of the league by a lot. Uh, Mm -hmm. And in these past five, they're at 103 per 100, which I think is fourth to last. I mean, I know it's difficult to tell because of the injuries, but I mean, what do you think this team is offensively over the course of a long season? Yeah, it's, it's hard. Like you said, for a while there, I was like, are they going to miss a shot ever? No. (laughs) And then, and then the past few games, it's been like, are they going to make a shot ever? It's so it's, it's been difficult. I mean, they were averaging over that four games. I mean, they were averaging something about like 97 points a game. Um, It was, it was tough. And again, to, yeah, I mean, I guess teams like Cleveland and, and the Knicks, like they do kind of, um, you know, if if they're not shooting, like they can play some defense. So, but it, it's 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 tough. Those are the games you you hope you can put away, you know, when you're a playoff hopeful team. You know, I think a lot of it, it is kind of, um, you know, some of it, the, the past few games where they've struggled, 
some of it you can certainly attribute to to injuries, but that's that's going to happen this season. Uh, you can't really do much about it. And if it's not injuries, it might be COVID protocol stuff. So everyone's kind of in the same boat there. Um, but I think one thing that also kind of affected them the last few games, this team, although they added much more depth, they added more shooting, which they really needed. They needed a, a little bit of everything. Um, they, they added a, a lot, but at its core, you know, Trey Young was struggling. The past five games, he was shooting like 33.3% from the field and had made one three the past three games. Um, and so the Hawks were struggling, you know? So I think, I think when Trey Young, and then he, he had a good game um, last night against Philly, and then the Hawks came out on top. So, so a lot of it does kind of, they kind of go as Trey Young goes to, to a degree. Um, and he was struggling the past few games and got back on track. So I think a lot of it is kind of going to come down to, to him and how he does in, in year three, which I guess, you know, in a, in a perfect world, you would have those other guys who can help as well, but some of them are injured. Um, so I think, I think offensively, I think they are significantly better than what you saw those last four games. I think it was a small sample size of Trey being off and other guys being off their game as well. I think probably where they are, it's hard to say. If I had to guess, I would say probably where they are is somewhere in the middle of how incredibly hot they started and how much they cooled off. I think they're probably somewhere in the middle and what might push them over the edge to being a little better is getting some guys healthy. Um, but at the same time with the Hawks, as, as good as they can be on offense and as much potential as they certainly have, I think a lot of it is also if they want to accomplish what they say they want to accomplish, a lot of it is going to come down, come down more so to the defensive end. And can we get stops in crunch time against good teams? So for example, when we're playing the nets and giving up 145 points, you know, you, you're not going to be, you can't outscore everybody. You know, you got, you got to get those stops. So I think that side of things is actually going to be more crucial for them. Yeah. I have a, uh, I got to say, I've been on in on Trey young since that freshman season at Oklahoma. I mean, I just, I just couldn't stop watching him in college and the game that really sold me on him when, you know, I was sitting there saying like, all right, this guy's going to be something in the NBAs. They played West Virginia and he was going by Javon Carter at will. Like, you know, just like your classic bulldog point guard. I was like, if Javon Carter can't stay in front of him, then I, I just don't know how many, very many people are. I mean, the passing is pretty incredible. We know about the range. You know, you just talked about kind of the the consistency issues a little bit, but I mean, what's just your overall feel of of watching the Trey Young experience so far? I think um, watching him game in and game out, um, you start to appreciate the little things that he does. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, every time he nutmeg someone, of course, that's gonna you know make <laughs> make you know top ten and and everything. Yeah, JJ Redick last year in the preseason, I will never. Forget he got that. a bad. I, I remember. I remember that one. I've actually started doing like a Trey Young nutmeg counter just because. Of that. <laughs> that's um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, of course, that's gonna that's gonna make the the rounds, um, you know. And every time he hits a three from the logo, um, but I think I think one thing you start to realize once you watch him game in and game out is, you know, maybe even a little cliche, but just how much, just how crafty he is, and just how much he makes everyone better around him. You know, you can you can see him kind of directing guys, you can see him pushing guys where they need to go, and he just has really good vision. You know, last night. The, they were actually losing to Philly um, after the first quarter. And then the the second quarter, he kind of exploded and therefore the Hawks, the Hawks themselves exploded. And 
He had three assists in a row, two dunks to Clint Capella and then a layup to Kevin Herter. And I, people were asking uh, Clint Capella about it after the game. And he just said, he just sees everything. So I think his vision, especially just like hit ahead passes, stuff like that, that a lot of times just kind of go unnoticed. Um, I, I think that's something that is really impressive about him. He, I guess he catches a, a little bit of flack because the Hawks haven't been winning. But when you look at the supporting cast, the Hawks have had the past two years, those rosters were not remotely built to win. Um, and this one, you know, at full force is built to compete. So I think, I think one thing about Trey Young, as crafty as he is, as, um, as competitive as he is, and, you know, as, as much as he makes everyone better, I think one big takeaway that I have with Trey Young is that, you know, this year is going to be the, the measuring stick for him. It's not so much, the, the past two years, it's really hard to isolate one guy and say, and, you know, kind of judge him, I, honestly, as an individual with how the rest of the roster looked. So I think this is a, this year is a better measuring stick for Trey Young now with the guys he has around him and for Lloyd Pierce as well. Um, you know, the, the past two years have been rough, um, but now they, they're more equipped to win. It's hard to judge things 10 games in. Um, but I, but I think, you know, I think this is the year where we'll, where we'll kind of see what these guys are made of. I've been trying to figure out who Trey Young is in the NBA and like he seems to be kind of like part Steph Curry, part James Harden, like the way he kind of plays, except he's a lot smaller than James Harden and he can't quite shoot as efficiently as Steph Curry. I think he's shooting he's shooting under 30 percent and threes to start the year. You know, so if if you had to pick like a spot that he had to get better to actually to kind of like elevate into that, like he's in the top tier of guards, I think, but into mm -hmm. like that elite you know, top three, top five tier, what would it be? Well, limiting turnovers would be one thing that I think he struggles with, um, which last night he had zero. So that's maybe a bad time to bring it up because he did a good job of it last night. Um, but I think limiting turnovers is, is a big one. You know, there were some, there was one game against Charlotte. I forget if it was the first or second loss, um, but he actually had like, I think it was seven turnovers in the first quarter. And, um, or de definitely at least the first half. And then, you know, he didn't look like himself the rest of the game. I think he, he was hesitant to, to shoot the way he can because that kind of mentally got at him a little bit, you know, and obviously if you're giving the way, giving away the ball so much, you know, you're, you're limiting yourself as far as, you know, shots you can get up and you're limiting yourself as far as, you know, possessions where you can score. Um, so I think limiting turnovers is is a big one. Um, there's some areas where he's shown, you know, a lot of a lot of growth as far as getting to the line. Um, you know, James Harden, I guess, has played fewer games, but Trey has is um, is doing that at an even higher level this year. Um, I think probably consistency shooting is probably one of the biggest things, particularly from three. Um, that's something where last year he was a 36, 36.1, 36% yeah. three point shooter. Um, and then his, his rookie year, it took him a while to get shots falling from three. It's, it's almost too early to judge, you know, it's 10 games in and he had those, that three to five game stretch, like I said, where he was really struggling shooting, you know, but then he, he makes you forget about that so fast on nights where he's on, you know? Um, but I guess to answer your question, I would say probably consistency shooting, particularly from, from three, 
would be one of the the biggest things. And then also, you know, one thing you always have to talk about with, with Trey is, you know, if he could just be a little bit better defensively, it doesn't have to be good defensively. You know, he's, yeah. he's six one, he's small. He scores at, at obviously an elite level. He's an all-star starter last year, but if he could just get a little bit better on defense, similar to like, I've heard Lloyd Pierce talk about Kemba Walker and how he just had to get a little bit better on defense, you know, just, just don't be the the worst defender. You know, I think that that's something with Trey where he has, he's been more active getting into passing lanes. Um, and that's probably his best bet, you know, to, to be a little bit better on defense. Um, so I think if he can continue that growth and just be more aggressive, I think that would help him significantly as well. You just, you don't want to be, you don't want to be that much of a defensive negative. You know, you want to be able to be a, a serviceable, you know, defender. Um, so I would say consistency shooting and, and consistency defending at, um, you know, getting into passing lanes, being as active as he can on defense. Um, and I think with all the things that he does, obviously at an all-star level, I think if he could see some uptick in that categories, that would just put him at, at a very, very high elite level. You you alluded to it earlier, but he just seems to relish embarrassing people. I mean, he loves like the nutmeg thing. I, I love that you have your, uh, your nutmeg counter. I think that's <laughs> great. Um, I would love to see that on the AJC's website, just Trey, Trey Young nutmeg I, counter. I'm going to lobby for that. Like a, uh, like, like a pitching coach? Like, just- <laughs> <laughs> like the pitch count thing? <laughs> no, it's just this little thing that I tweet out. I mean, you know, and I guess he's seen both sides of it as far as nutmegging guys because he did it against, was it Ariza? It was last last year and, you know, he didn't appreciate that very much, <laughs> you know, and they, yeah. they, kind of, they kind of got into it. Um, so he, you know, you see both sides of it with stuff like that. Um, I've actually, we've asked him about that before and, you know, in a way you do, I think, I think in a way there's a basketball reason for it as far as, you know, creating space, especially if there's a bigger guy who's planted, you know, and he can just get around him. But I think there's also an element from my perspective, there's an element of, a fun to it as well and kind of flashiness as well. I mean, let's um, just say it, he loves clouding people. It's, it's part of the, you know, and that's part of the game too. You know, like I think there's, I think there's like energy plays to be had from, you know, from dunks or like big threes. And there's also, you know, energy plays to be found from nutmegging people. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a basketball fan. Like I'm, right. I'm here for it. And, you know, I don't have to deal with the repercussions of like Trevor right. Ariza just elbowing me, uh, you know, a man who's seven inches bigger than me and weighs 50 more pounds. So. Right. Right. He kind of sees both sides of it um, when it comes to how people receive it. But no, I mean, it's, it's fun and it's kind of become, I guess, his thing in a way too, you know, and people, people look for it. If uh, basketball reference is listening, I fully endorse adding nutmeg as an official stat for the 2021 season. Um, they can, they can get their, their nutmeg stats. I'll supply them with some nutmeg stats. <laughs> <laughs> he leads the league unquestionably. We, we saw a little bit earlier this year, um, just a few signs, I guess that maybe John Collins in particular is not like a hundred percent with, you know, how I guess Trey centric, the offense has become, I mean, do you feel like, you know, whatever bubbled up was kind of the product more so of like a guy who wants, you know, a, a big deal and like, he's got to produce this year. Or do you feel like that was just like, you know, Trey having the ball in his hands that much has, has 
just become can become grading, I guess. What's funny is they're actually playing Trey off the ball a little bit more this year. Um, or at least they were more to start the season when they had bogey who they could, you know, have bring the ball up and play Trey off the ball more. Um, it's actually funny at one point bogey brought the ball up and Trey was just waiting open in the corner for a, a corner three, just unguarded. And I was like, when is the last time that happened? You know, that someone else brought the ball up and yeah. found Trey for a catch and shoot. Um, but I, I think honestly, I think some of that was probably losing has a way of making issues bubble up that maybe wouldn't normally. Um, so, and this is just from, from my perspective, I think that some of that is, I mean, guys can get into it in film sessions and then everything's fine. You know, I mean, that's kind of what they're there for. So from my perspective, I think that, you know, the team had lost four straight, um, and was going through, a rough time, particularly because this isn't the year you want to lose four straight. This is the year that you have expectations on you, you know, and that's, that's something we were going to get much more criticism and much more flack for than in years past. Um, and I think the team is kind of having to adjust to that a little bit, you know, like this is, this is a year where we actually have to, where we actually have, I, I guess, pre- maybe pressure. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure for John, John knows he's in a contract year, you know, I mean, and he didn't want to be in one, obviously. Um, he had said that a lot leading up to the deadline for that deal. Um, you know, he had said, I want to be a Hawk. I don't want to be in a contract year. It's, it's really tough on you mentally. So I'm sure that can grate on you. But I also think, you know, last night, John went, Collins went, uh, it was like four for seven for, from three. And last year, he actually led the team in three-point shooting. He's like a 40.1% three-point shooter. And, you know, he had this, he was talking about, you know, I'm always going to let him fly, especially when ice is setting me up, you know, like, so I think it's one of those things where losing has a way of grading on you and grading on relationships in a way that maybe it it wouldn't normally. Um, But that's, that's just from, that's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think it's interesting. I mean, you've, talked about this, this urgency level to, to win right now. Um, I mean, everyone, you know, you hear from who covers the Hawks talks about, I don't want to say there's a mandate, but, um, maybe an expectation to make the playoffs. I mean, when you make the kind of moves that they made, it just, it just sort of makes sense. I mean, I think the Pelicans are in this position of, this is probably the last year where, you know, they don't expect to make the playoffs like they want to. And I think it'll be a disappointing especially if they're not involved in that play-in tournament. But I think next year, they're going to be in sort of a similar position to Atlanta. Um, I mean, have you gotten the sense that, like, the players on the roster, I mean, understand it's not a make-or-break year, but, like, I mean, we, we need to make the playoffs or there are potential shakeups. Yeah, so um, GM Travis Schlank has said a few times um, cause a lot of the play, again, a lot of the playoff buzz about, you know, we need to make the playoffs. We need to do X, Y, Z. A lot of that. I mean, that started with coach Lloyd Pierce and that continued with Hawks players. I mean, I'm not coercing them into saying that, you know, they, yeah. they that's, that's what they're saying. So that's, I mean, that's coming from them. I think they feel that they're, they're nearing the end of their rebuild and that's where they should be going. Um, or that's, you know, the, the level that they should be winning at, but GM Travis Schlenk has said a few times that this is not a playoffs or bust year. 
When he said that, though, that was a little bit earlier before they added a, a few more guys in, in free agency. Um, but I don't I don't know if that would necessarily change that that quote or that sentiment. Um, I mean, I think I think this is a year where especially when they've talked about it this much and when they added as much as they did and when they're, um, you know, they're, they're a young team, but they're not as, you know, as young as they they were last year or the year before that, certainly. Um, so I think this is a year where I think these guys are tired of losing. I think they're very tired. Uh, I mean, John Collins said it after they they beat the Nets. Of course, they went on to to lose quite a few games. Um, they, they went on to lose a few in a row. But John Collins said, you know, we are not a joke. And I think that that's <laughs> something that they I think that's something that they want to prove. You know, I think that I think they want to prove that, like, we're done getting beat up. Um, you know, it's it's a long season, I guess, 10 games shorter than it normally would be. Um, you know, they're five and five right now. So they're kind of, you know, middle of the pack and still figuring things out. I'll tell you, I think it would be pretty disappointing if they did not at least make like the play in tournament, which I, which I actually think, I don't know what you guys think about that. I think that's a really cool idea. I, I really like that they're keeping that. I like the, the element of that with the bubble. I'm hundred percent in. That yeah, that gave it kind of incentivizes teams late, and you know a lot of times if you're like you know four or five games out of playoff contention, you're like ah we're not we're not making it right. you know and now yeah. and now you get that push and I think that'll benefit teams like the Hawks, um, you know if they're in that position. I mean I I don't even know again I don't even know where this team's gonna be because it's hard to figure out their identity yet because you know I haven't seen all of them together really. Um, so it's hard to say how they're going to stack up. However, I will say being in the East, um, I think that is helpful too, which obviously the Pelicans don't have the benefit of. One thing on the playoff tournament that, you know, the second I saw them announce that idea for the bubble, I was like, this is not going to go away. They're going to keep doing this. I think one thing that it adds value to for, you know, the teams at the edge of the playoffs, it creates an opportunity for teams that are trying to get elevated it, like the Pelicans, the Hawks, who don't know how to win games. This is what I've said about the Pelicans all season long. They don't know how to win. They know how yeah. to win when they're up by 20. They don't know how to win games uh, that are tight, other than maybe the opener. And getting in that environment, you get just... Th- those are going to be very important games for teams that need to learn how to win in in difficult situations. And in they're going to get games time. that they can win because they're going against the 8 and the 9. And I think those are going to be really valuable for those teams because going into the first round and getting swept by the Lakers is not going to teach you much other than, wow, we're not as good as the Lakers. We're not as good as the Bucks, you know? Uh, so I think that I, I'm excited to see how that how that turns out. I totally agree. And I, I agree with you, too. I think sometimes the way seeding works, like I understand why it works that way, because if you've busted your butt to be the number one seed, like obviously you deserve, you know, you deserve the benefit that comes with that. But at the same time, again, if you're, if you're a lower seed, you're like, ah, well, we learned that Anthony Davis is really good and we can't can't guard him. (laughs) Um, You know, there's, you just don't, how much do you learn from that? You know, particularly when um, for a team like the Hawks, you know, if they do make it into playing meaningful minutes late, late in the season, you know, the the playing tournament or playoffs or whatever, that's going to be the first time for a lot of these guys, almost all of them, you know, Uh, I mean, with the exception of like some guys they've added, like, you know, Gallo, Clint Capella, that's going to be the first time for a lot of these guys where they're playing legitimate crunch time, you know, like actually really important 
you know, really important, meaningful minutes, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, there is some NBA bylaw that you're not allowed to sign Rondo unless you intend to make the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> like the there for sure time. is. There's a footnote somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, the, the last time the Pelicans got to the playoffs, uh, Raja Rondo, starter in the backcourt. baby. <laughs> he, you know, he, um, he's kind of in a, it's funny you bring up Rondo. He's kind of in a, in a weird place right now because I mean, obviously I think he's 34, you know, he's a little, a little older and then coming off playing in the finals. So they've been resting him a good bit and he has, you know, some knee issues, I think kind of from, from years past and whatnot. But when he did play this season, which has not been much, um, but when he has played, you know, I wasn't sure how that was going to go. Um, and you can, you can, you can tell, I mean, he, he had a little bit of playoff Rondo, you know, for in like the first three games of the season. He had, he had a little, a little bit of that. Um, so I, I think, I think they'll be happy to get him back whenever they do. And if they do end up getting, uh, if they do end up getting to the, you know, whether it's the, the play in tournament or what have you, I think they'll be grateful to have that presence. Yeah, I, I love playing tournament. I mean, the NBA needed to do something to get rid of meaningless basketball in March and April. I think, you know, flattening the odds in the lottery, I was a fan of that. And uh, it's kind of what led me here, to be perfectly honest. I mean, the Pelicans had a 6% chance of, of jumping up to number one, and they did uh, a little bit higher than, than normal. Um, and I think the playing tournament helps that too. We should talk about that 2019 draft. I think it's still too early to pass the verdict, but... Uh, it kind of looks like in this at this very early juncture that the Hawks have won that transaction. Uh, the Pels had number four pick, um, and they decided to trade down. They got eight, 17, and 35. They ended up with Jackson Hayes, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Didi Lozada. I mean, the verdict is, is very much still out. Um, but DeAndre Hunter, who Atlanta got with that pick, looks good. I mean, what have you just seen for him in year two? Are, are Hawks fans feeling like, you know, that transaction was a win for them? Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, with both DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, um, you know, those guys played an inordinate amount of basketball as rookies. Um, they they were shouldering a ton of responsibility, you know, every game the uh, you know the opposing team's best one and two well rookies there you go guard Paul George one night and LeBron James the next night DeAndre Hunter um so so he had a I think it was hard you know and, and I think sometimes we forget especially when we're like evaluating draft talent I think sometimes we all collectively forget that rookies a lot of times go through it you know and if rookies are struggling from the get-go I mean Trey Young struggled from the get-go and then he was an all-star starter in year two you know, um, and he really only struggled with, you know, shooting from three. But yeah, I mean, I think sometimes you just have to be a little bit patient with those guys. Um, and DeAndre Hunter is looking really good in year two. He's looking significantly more aggressive, which they really needed him to be able to get to the line. Um, he's he's looking night and day different when it comes to confidence with the ball on the ball. You know, they're, they're letting him handle it more and he's doing well with it. He's an interesting positional fit because he can kind of do, you know, play the three, play the four. He's, he's more, he's more versatile than I think people may have thought at first. Um, and he's a, he's a good defender as, as well. Um, and I think he was averaging, it was 20, 20 points a game in January. And then I think now it's down to probably 19 or 18. 
Um, but so he's scoring at a higher level. He's also, they wanted him to, to rebound a little bit more. He's doing that more. He's getting to the line more. Um, I think probably the one thing they would want him to do a little bit more is be more vocal. Both him and Cam are very, very quiet guys. Um, but I, you know, and I think that there's a, a little bit of that with Cam too. I mean, he, he's struggling more shooting this year, but as far as just progress that he's made overall, whether that's, you know, just being that defensive two-way wing that they need. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think DeAndre Hunter has made a ton of progress and I think they're really happy with it. And more than that, they really needed it. They, they, they needed, and it, you know, coming into this, into this season, it was a question of, you know, the Hawks added all these guys. Is that going to hurt the development of their young wings, whether that's DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, Kevin Herter. Um, and, you know, you kind of forget those guys have improved and have gotten older and, and are looking a lot better. Um, so I think I, I know that there was some, I don't know if it's controversy, but obviously the Hawks moved up and gave up a lot, you know, to get DeAndre Hunter. And at first it kind of looked like, was that wise? Maybe. Um, but again, you know, rookies kind of go through it and need time to develop. And I think now you're starting to see as far as if that, you know, all the picks and, and how they moved, I, I'm not sure. But I think with the way that he's playing now, I think that's that's paying off, at least on the Hawks end, because he he looks significantly he looks significantly better this year. And, you know, a lot of times is um, showing a lot of maturity that they really needed him to show. Lest we not forget, Solomon Hill was also in that trade. He didn't play for the Hawks that year. <laughs> yes! Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes, yes, I remember. You know, it's it's funny talking about because I so this is my this is my second season covering the team. Um, but and you know, obviously, my first season was kind of clipped, you know, by fifteen games um, when the season shut down and everything. So it's it's funny to talk about stuff that kind of predates me a little bit because everyone was like, "Oh, Solomon Hills," you know quote unquote back, you know, and I was like, oh, right. Yeah, he was he was in that. I, I forgot. <laughs> that was a big part for the Pelicans, actually, because I I remember kind of dealing with that trade. And when we were trying to cover the draft, we had like canned files set up for, OK, Pelicans trade here, Pelicans trade here. And uh, I remember I literally saw the the notification from Woj pop up on someone else's phone. I was like, Son-. and I just like, ran <laughs> And uh, I remember, like, Solomon Hill was a big part of that trade because the Pelicans needed to find someone who would take that deal Mm. uh, because he made a lot of money. And I think when you look at that trade, you also have to consider the Pelicans were able to sign J.J. Redick because they they were able to unload Solomon Hill in that deal and they had that extra money kind of opened up. Um, So I think that's also, you know, part of that kind of uh, Mm -hmm. situation is that being able to pay J.J. Redick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny kind of looking at the roster construction of the Hawks because the Pelicans have kind of decided, okay, we're going to add as many guards as possible and see what happens. Uh, and they, they really don't have a 3 and D wing to speak of. Mm. Whereas the Hawks seem to have just a glut of 3 and D uh, type guys. They went all in on wings, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it, it's, it's funny to see because the Pelicans, you know, I think you can attribute a lot of their defensive deficiencies to not being, not being um, adjustable and uh, flexible in their rotations that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it, and but the Hawks seem to have just they really seem to have every position kind of uh, lined up <laughs> like one two three. Um, what have you seen kind of as that roster has developed and how they've changed at least over the time you've been there uh, fr- from their kind of build to execution on the floor? You know, I, I mean, I, I definitely 
I definitely hear you on that. And I, I think some of that is just the way the league is going. Like if you look at Boston, just adding a lot of long athletic kind of two-way wings, you know? And I think, um, I think that's, you know, I think the Hawks decided, you know, they, they had this term, like their core five guys, you know, from last year. And like, this is who we're rebuilding around, you know? And, you know, three of those guys, you know, you have Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, you know, three of their young, talented, athletic, long two-way wings, you know, who can, who can both score and, you know, especially with Cam and DeAndre can, can play a little defense. I think when you look at roster construction, um, one thing with the Hawks, like they've been, I think, committed to their, their wing guys for a while now, I think really, really that wasn't one of their problems last year. I mean, depth was a problem for them um, big time. Um, but honestly, as far as, you know, you're talking about defensively, the, the Pelicans and maybe needing a little bit more of that really with the Hawks, it was kind of the opposite, opposite problem positionally. Um, they did not have a backup point guard who could prevent the offense from kind of falling off a cliff when Trey Young went to the bench. That was, that was a big one. And then, um, their center rotation, was probably one of the worst in the league, um, which defensively hurt them big time. Um, and in a lot of other ways. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, as far as their, their wings, I think that's, I think that's honestly one of the reasons why they're doing better this year is because those guys matured and that's kind of a way the, the, the league is going right now. And, and then they, they did their best to address the, the backup point guard thing. And then, and the center thing, adding Clint Capella, drafting Anyeka Kongwu, who we haven't seen yet. Um, you know, we'll see how he does. And then adding Rondo. And then they have, they've actually, it's kind of been a fun story around here. They converted a, a two-way guy to a full contract last year. And he's also a local hometown guy, um, Brandon Goodwin. And he's, mm. you know, Rondo's out right now and he's, he's, he's playing a significant bit and, and playing, playing really well for them. Um, so the Hawks kind of have, they had almost like opposite roster construction problems, like the middle of their roster they had, it was the ends that kind of needed to be built up. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Brandon Goodwin. I, uh, he got a little run with the Nuggets summer league team. Uh, yeah. you might've even had a, a cup of coffee with him. I honestly can't remember. Uh, I did not realize he was uh, an Atlanta kid. Yeah. He, he played at, um, Norcross. And oh, okay. it's actually just been, it's, it's been a fun, um, it's just been a fun hometown kind of homegrown story. And then this, this season, I mean, he had 15 points last night, you know, he's actually, he's actually running the offense pretty well. Um, in Trey Youngstead, um, last year he had some, some good gains and some, some not so good games, um, you know, but, or I guess I should say quieter games, but yeah, it's been a fun story. Was he on that Florida Gulf Coast team that made the run in the NCAA tournament? Or was that too I, long ago? How old is Brandon Goodwin? I, I you know, I third season I, maybe. I forget what he did too much before his NBA. Uh, I, I know he transferred to Florida Gulf Coast, but I don't remember what year. Yeah, I don't know. I just know he went to Florida Gulf Coast and I remember that team uh going nuts in the NCAA tournament. Not, right. not relevant to what we're talking about really today. But. No, this is a Brandon Goodwin <laughs> podcast now. We're only going to talk about Brandon Goodwin, which I know is why everyone came here to, to Episode hear. Episode one. Yeah. We should have just led with that. Yeah, we the early years. <laughs> well, I mean, when I just look at this Hawks roster as a whole, um, I mean, there is there is a lot of depth. Like everyone is out right now. Mm -hmm. And 
I think, you know, depth is probably more valuable this year than maybe in any other year in NBA history, just because of everything going that's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, do you, do you see this like being the roster at the end of the year? Like, do you think they still have moves to make? Just, just like when I look at the Pelicans roster, I mean, I think they're, they're definitely ripe for like at least a trade or two. I mean, they're young guards, like they can't even get minutes right now because there's such a log jam. I mean, do you, do you think this is what it looks like at the end of the year for Atlanta? I'm not sure. It, it is kind of funny, though. Uh, a while back, um, GM Travis Schlank mentioned that because, you know, when you look at the Hawks roster, they've got a, a lot of young talent that's playing well. And then they've also got, you know, veteran salary, you know, guys who are, who are making a lot of money that you could use for, you know, salary kind of matching purposes. And he, I mean, to his credit, he kind of said, you know, as, as the season goes on or, you know, he kind of was vague a little bit, but he was like, you know, we might be in the position to acquire a star. So, and they, when you look at their roster, they, they really do have the pieces to do it um, with what they, with what they added. Um, I mean, you'd have to move around a lot and it'd it'd be interesting to see how all of that worked out. Um, I'm not sure but they they would have the pieces to do it if someone that they wanted was available, which I think is also kind of the thing. I mean, obviously there was a lot of like, oh, they're going to get Giannis, you know? <laughs> um, but I mean, I mean, come on. Uh, so, so I guess it would depend on who's available and what they, you know, what their long-term plan is, but they have the pieces in place if they, if they did want to go acquire someone big. Yeah, I know. I know we're only nine games in, but it just—I don't know. I don't want to say a move feels imminent for the Pelicans, but it just—it just feels like something's got to give. I mean, mm-hmm. Kyra Lewis says—I mean, he hasn't even got like rotation minutes at all, and I just think this is kind of the last year where the Pelicans—you know—they're not in that place the Hawks are now, where it's like you know, we really want to make the playoffs this year. This is kind of the last year where you know there's some expectations, but but not like concrete ones so uh mm-hmm. i don't know we'll see they they have a uh, couple of pieces i think that would be interesting mm-hmm. um but sarah this was uh really fun where can uh where can people find your work uh so ajc.com for um for all your hawks uh all the hawk stories your heart desires um the brandon goodwin stories the brandon goodwin stories okay. write about them every day um the NCAA tournament, by the way hey there we go there we go <laughs> Um, and then, um, I'm on Twitter at Sarah underscore K underscore Spence. I have a really common name, so I had to get really weird with it when it came to my Twitter handle. So, (laughs) but yeah. Um, and then, and then AJC.com for, for stories. All right. I'm sending up account notifications because I need the good Brandon Inger, or I'm sorry. I need the good Brandon Goodwin who's, uh, on the timeline all the time. I will. Yes. Uh, follow me specifically for the Trey Young nutmeg counter and Brandon <laughs> Goodwin uh, news. <laughs> but thank you for having me. This was really fun. 